Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Folks, we got a, a couple of more announcements, and during that time, if you all do not have a bulletin with a sermon outline and there's an insert inside that you, de you desperately need, if you don't have it, go get you one while we're fiddling around. They're in the back there, and, and uh, I'm assuming we have some left because we had a, a really good crowd last night, and things are picking up wonderfully well. Thank you. And if you're a newcomer, uh, when, before you leave, if you go to that table back there and, and fill out a little card, it would really help us a whole lot, too. Back where my first wife is sitting, Alice, can you stand up a second? Right behind her is a little thing that we put out there that anyone who wants to make a contribution for Patrick's wedding, for, for new newcomers, we brought a couple of youngsters here from an orphanage in Uganda, sent them through Kentucky Christian, then they got a master's degree at Ohio Christian, and they're back there now. We talked to Patrick this morning. He's getting married this um, in this very short time on the 5th of March they'll have a traditional African wedding and then on the following Saturday there will be they'll have a church wedding now there there are reasons why they're doing that that I don't have time to explain I'm not certain I can very well anyway but anyway that's the and anybody who wants to uh, contribute to so that we can send them a little wedding present why uh, feel free to do so uh, you can you if you put it in a check, it, you can write it off, and we'll give you credit, get a credit for it, or cash, or wh I don't care. Just if you want to take care of that, way, well, you can. New devotionals for starting from March, April, and May are back there on the table. Ever they're free. Everyone should take one with you. Now the message this morning is one that uh, uh, I approach with some hesitation simply because the church through the ages have been so divided over the subject. You wouldn't think so by just looking at the title, God is in control. God is in control. Now, we'll, we'll, historically, uh, there, were two, there are two different positions. Actually, there are more. But historically, there was... Augustine uh, put together what I call the first uh, comprehensive uh, effort to put together a, what's called a systematic theology. It's a theology about how God relates to the world, who he is and how he relates to, the, to, to his creation. And the problem with systematic theology is if there's a section here where the Bible doesn't address it, they put in their opinion in order for it to be systematic and logical and complete. And I've got, I don't know how many different systematic theology books. I'm not a fan of systematic theology. I'm a fan of what I call biblical theology. And by that I mean the only thing that we can hang our hat on is what the Bible clearly says about God and creation. 
And that's why in nearly all of my outlines, I try to give you as much scripture for each point as possible so that you can check it and see. Because the church has gotten divided over the idea of, to, of, uh, of who God is. And, and there are lots of problems associated with it. In the Reformation era, probably the best known of all the theological, uh, systematic theological books that were written, John Calvin probably has the most comprehensive and the best known. His so-called opponent, actually, they were closer together than most people realize, is a guy named Arminius. And so those who are not Calvins, Calvinists are referred to often as Arminian. And, and uh, it's unfortunate that the church has been divided over that. I mean, bitterly divided at times, and, uh, and, it, and it never should be. So we're going to talk about that this morning. I'll be honest with where I stand, and I'll be as clear as I can about what the other positions are and why they're that way and what our attitude toward them should be so that you can understand what I'm talking about in, in our world today. Locally, you have the Presbyterian Church, and when I first came to town many years ago, there were three of them. There was Central Press up on the hill, First Press down in the old part of town, and then up by the high school, there's Second Presbyterian Churches, and they were all prospering at the, at the time. Then you have our Baptist churches, and the Baptist churches are split. There are the free will Baptists, and what the old timers used to say when they were trying to be nasty with each other is there's the hard shell Baptist and the, and the free will Baptist. And the division is over what I'm going to talk about this morning. The Methodist church broke away from the Episcopal church. The Episcopal church is English-speaking Catholic Church. Because when Henry VIII wanted to get a divorce, the Pope wouldn't let him get a divorce. So he said, that's easy. I'll take over the church in England. I'm the head of the Church of England. And since I'm the head of the Church in England, I'm going to grant me a divorce. And so, and, 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 and in time, in time, the, the Episcopal Church or the Church of England, was uh, less holy than uh, some people thought. Those people were, were primarily the Wesleyan brothers, both of whom were excellent scholars of the New Testament. And they started what is today known all over the world as the holiness movement. And, uh, and, and so out of that came the Methodist Church, and from the Methodist Church came the, Episcopal, or came the Church of the Nazarene, and, from the church, and then there are many holiness churches around, all who have their roots in, uh, in the Methodist movement that started in England. Here in the United States, uh, the, probably Francis Asbury was the most influential of the Methodist people. Uh, and in and, and planting churches in every little town. He rode, I forget how many thousands of miles on, on a horse, plant, just planting churches in the community. And they were good churches. But that division is still there. 
for those of you who missed Pat Apel, Pat Apel uh, went to the Reform Cemetery. He went to Princeton, and then from Princeton he got his law school degree at Vanderbilt. That's where I went to seminary. And then, uh, then he went to the Reform Seminary. And so he was a Calvinist. And, uh, and we talked about those things and laughed about it a lot because he had it right. It isn't something we should argue about because both positions have some biblical support. But neither position has an ironclad position. So I'm, I'm going to address that thing this morning because the subject that I was assigned came from the 16th chapter of the book of Proverbs. And in that book of Proverbs, God is addressed as being very strong. He actually is given the title of a king. And believe it or not, Jesus is a king over his kingdom. But we had to use, when you start talking about a spiritual kingdom, how do you describe it? What the biblical writers always did is they took something that you understand to illustrate what they want you to know. And so the best, the, 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 the one person on the face of the earth during the biblical times, both Old and New Testament, the strongest person on the face of the earth was a king. So in order to describe God as the most powerful person that you could possibly imagine, they used the term king or a sovereign to describe him. And, uh, and what, the what the biblical commentators have done is they've taken that word king and they have they have kind of manipulated it to suit their theological position. And that's always dangerous. Because when you read here, in the ninth verse, it says that in his heart, man plans his course. We choose what we want to do. But the Lord determines his steps. And then it goes on to say, the lips of a king speak as an oracle. And his mouth shall not betray justice. Then in verse 12, it says, kings detest wrongdoing. In 13, kings take pleasure in honest lips. 14, the king's wrath is, is a messenger of death. 15, when a king's face brightens, it means life. And so all through here, God is compared, at, and they use the term king to illustrate the nature of God and his relationship to people, and to his creation. Now, no one argues, if you're a Christian, no biblical theologian argues about who the world belongs to. We all, that, that, that's, that's a given that nobody even tries to discuss. It's a fact. And from the 10th, and this is just one of the passages, in the 10th chapter of Deuteronomy, when God was dealing with Moses and trying to prepare him to be the leader of his people. Here in verse 14, here's what he says. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Everything belongs to God. 
Why? Because he created it. He brought it into existence out of nothing. Now, and now the, the question then comes along. And you remember the old song, This is my father's world. We've sung about it for years. That's an established fact that everybody agrees on. The area of argumentation comes to what degree God continues to control his creation. That's the argument. Does he, even though at the outset in Eden, God had total control? Nobody argued that. Absolutely did. What, his kingdom? He had no competition. However, competition did show up. So the question is, for us, does God still exercise total control over everything that happens? Because we hear the term all the time, well, God is in control. To what extent is he in control is the area of difference. And how can it be explained? If you look at the scripture, you will see that God... And, and this is just something that all of you know. But if you, if you stay out of systematic theology and just let the Bible speak for itself, you will see that what Satan did when he came into the Garden of Eden, he brought, he brought rebellion. What Adam and Eve did is they rebelled against God. Now, did God, now here's the real problem. Did God cause them to rebel? Because if he did, he is the source and the cause of sin. If, however, they had given sufficient free will to choose for themselves, then the thing fell in between them and Satan. So the question has always been, did that free will exist? So here's, here's where the cheese gets binding. When Adam and Eve sinned, Augustine, St. Augustine, who was, who was the influence on Calvin and Luther in particular, because John Calvin, a Frenchman, and Martin Luther, a German, were, both of them were Augustinian monks before they broke with the Catholic Church. And so it was, they had been strongly taught what, what Augustine had written in the books. Augustine was a brilliant sucker, really bright. But he was and the first guy who put together what we call a systematic theology. And it was really complete. He was a good writer as well. Now, what I'm going to say is that when man fell, Augustine said that he fell in his fall, in his sin. He fell so far from God this called depravity. He was so depraved that he no longer had the capacity to search for and to search for God. And the only way that he could come to God was for God to go to him and put the desire in his heart because God had predestined that he would be saved. That's that's the position that Augustine took. He also said that, that man was so depraved that everything about him was sinful. His flesh, the existence of skin, was sinful. 
Augustine messed that one up, but that, that's what he said. And as a result of that, he said that babies need to be baptized because they're sinful because they have skin on. And so he, he was the one who introduced infant baptism into the Christian arena and then it's practiced by many. So the questions that are critical here is to what degree was man depraved when they sinned in the Garden of Eden? If they were totally depraved, and that's what Augustine thought, then they had no capacity to seek God so God had to seek them and give them the desire. So in, in Calvinism, God is the cause that creates the result. He is the cause of everything that exists. I question that. Why? Because God wasn't the only influence in the Garden of Eden. A sucker called Satan did show up. And he was a powerful cuss, probably, and this is speculation on my part, some speculation at least, he probably was in charge of the angels in heaven and he led a revolt. And the imps of hell are those, because you talk about, when we talk about the hosts of heaven in the Bible, James in particular, the hosts of heaven are really the angelic forces of God that are there. Now, I'm, no, I'm giving you some stuff here that I'm certain you're already bored with. And if you're bored, hang on, because it's going to get worse. <laughs> okay? <laughs> okay. So, but this, these things need to be put on the table and understood so that you will understand our Presbyterian brethren. They are our brethren, those who believe the Bible. The U.S. Presbyterian Church is way over to the left, and they no longer believe in the integrity of the Scripture. But let, let me take just a few minutes, if I can, and introduce you to a really bad cat. He's called Satan in the Scriptures. He's called the devil. Mother called him Old Scratch. I don't know why, but she did. So here we are in the 12th, and, and, and listen to this, because now we're talking about using terms that indicate authority. Jesus, our Father in heaven, uses the term, the Bible uses the term king to indicate his authority. His authority over all of creation is, it should be his because it's, it, creation belongs to him. He created it out of nothing. That's called by fiat. Creating something from nothing is called fiat. Now then, so let's look at the scriptures a little bit and see how Satan is addressed, even by Jesus, to know who he is and how much power this bird has. In the 12th chapter of the book of John, and I'm going to stay here in John simply because it's easier for you to follow, here in the 12th chapter of the book of John, going down to verse 31, Jesus says this. We'll start verse 30. Jesus said, so you'll know who's doing the talking. This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. 
he's talking about the prince of this world. Who is the prince of this world? Old Scratch. Yes, you did good. It's Satan himself. Now listen, because Jesus continues to, to iterate and to reiterate who Satan is, because we have a tendency to, to kind of assume that uh, satanic things and Satan are sort of a creation of uh, somebody's imagination rather than the existence of, a, of an embodied evil influence in our world ever since the Garden of Eden. If you flop over to the 14th chapter, verse 30, again, Jesus is doing the talking here. And uh, here, here's what he says, uh, starting at, uh, at verse 29. He said, I've told you now before it happened, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, talking to his disciples here, for the prince of this world is coming. The prince of this world, he's, he's introduced, he said, you know, the satanic influence is coming to my followers to the extent now he's talking to his disciples to the extent that you already know do you remember when Jesus was sitting with his disciples at that last meal where he introduced the Lord's Supper and he said to Judas you can go ahead now and do your dirty work and the Bible says concerning that, that the devil had entered into Judas. Who is, by the way, Satan is the enemy of God and you and me. And he's a powerful enemy. In the 16th chapter... Uh, here in John, Jesus is continuing to, to deal with his disciples and to pray for them. In the 16th chapter, here in verse 11, he says this, in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. He's, he's pointing out who Satan is and using a term, who is a prince? A prince is a part of the royal family with exceptional authority and power. He's not the king of glory. That's God. But he's there. And you and I need to be constantly aware of it because Satan doesn't waste his time on sinners. They're already in his corner. Satan uses his influence and his power to subvert people like us. Now, we have, we have tremendous power to cope with him. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So, the Bible is very clear about who Satan is. And I'm not going to take a lot of time here and go through uh, him being called the adversary. And, but I've given you the scriptures for that. Now, and so I think I pointed out earlier on that Augustine... And Calvin, the Calvinist, and they're not. And but Calvin didn't have anything to do with the Presbyterians. How did that happen? In Scotland, there was a theologian, a Bible preacher, a good one, named John Knox. John Knox left 
Scotland, went to Geneva, Switzerland, where Calvin was, and studied under Calvin, came back then to Scotland and started the Presbyterian Church. Now, the Reformed Church and the Presbyterian Church have exactly the same doctrine and the same concept about predestination over and total, total control over everything that happens. Now, here's, what, here's where I think, with the best of intentions, these guys were trying to do right. Where I think they left, made their mistake, if, if you can say it that way, is this. God does have the authority to be totally in control of everything if he chooses. He also has the authority to put self-limits on himself. No one else can do that. But why would he do that? We'll talk about that in just a minute. So let's talk about predestination. Predestination is that if God is the cause of everything, so that it will have the results that he wants. And he has total control over every situation and every person in order to achieve that. There are those who say there, there's nothing to predestination. Well, they're wrong too. The Bible teaches some things are predestined. That God has said this is going to happen just exactly this way and I am the cause and I can predict the results. He says this in, in the opening chapters of the book of, so don't ever say there's no predestination in Scripture because there is for a really good reason. We'll talk to that before, right before we leave here this morning. He says in verse 5, he, meaning God, predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with pleasure and goodwill. So what he's saying here is when you become a Christian, God has predestined that you will be adopted into his family. And you, because see, Jesus is his only begotten son, John three sixteen, right? All of us, are adopted children into the family of God. And God says, when you become a Christian, it is predestined that you will become a part of his family. That's kind of neat if you think about it for a minute. Alice Kay and I have had children that we even tried to adopt Pat and Eddie. It's called adult adoption, and it is allowed here in the U.S., but the local judge... Uh, even though I threatened to cut his tires, didn't agree with me and, and, uh, and, and declined for it to become a fact. But I tried. She and I both tried. I thought it would be really neat for a woman with blonde hair and a real white face to have two adopted kids with a skin as dark as theirs was. I thought that was really neat. And it would send a message that I really would like to send. So right now, with said what I've said, I want you to take this little sheet of paper that's inserted in each of your bulletins and follow along with me. Okay? I'll have to hustle in order for you to get out here for supper. I 
I don't think they heard me. <laughs> okay, all right. All right, let's, let's look at this carefully. I, I put this insert in here, and so I hope you have a pen and you can write in and follow along. There are essentially three views concerning God's involvement in human history. First one is, God has nothing to do with anything. Can you believe that there is such a view? That includes some people who believe in God, as well as the atheists and the agnostics. Because there is a theory in, in, uh, in, in systematic theology by some theologians who say that what God did is he started all of creation, put it into motion, and, 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 and they compared it to a clock where you wind up the clock and you set it down and it just goes and goes and goes and goes until the alarm goes off and then it's all over. There are those who, who, who have written about that. I think you can kind of write that off. Secondly, God has everything to do with everything. That means he has total control of every situation and every person and everything they do in, in all of creation. That's the Augustinian theology that was adopted by John Calvin in the 1500s. And there we're talking about the degree of depravity again. How far did we fall? Did we fall so far in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned that they no longer had the capacity to seek God at any level? That's what Augustine said. I don't agree with that. Keep on going. God has something to do with everything he chooses. God has something to do with everything he chooses. Now, let's go back to the term that they use to describe God in the Bible. What is it? King. Does a king control everything and all the people in his domain all the time? Answer? No, he doesn't. But... As king and as a sovereign, he does have the power and the authority to get involved in anything he chooses at any time he wills, and his will will be done. Cannot be questioned. He has unquestioned authority if he wants to exercise it. This is kind of where I fall into the, into the picture here. I think God... From what I can read in Scripture, I think God has the authority if he chooses to do whatever, wherever. But it's, he only gets involved where he chooses. And, and, to, and, and, and the explanation of why it takes a long time, uh, so I'm just going to let it go at that for the, <laughs> for the time being. <clears throat> Now then, what I'm saying is that the human language has its limitations about us understanding who God is and what it's all about. And the Bible teaches that. The Bible clearly states that there are things about God and heaven and hell that we don't understand. Because of at least two reasons. One, if God told us everything about him, 
about himself, we wouldn't be able to understand it. He has given us sufficient information to stimulate our faith in him because he first loved us, right? We'll talk about that. We're going to get to that in just a second. So what I'm saying is uh, we don't know much about heaven. What we know about heaven is what Jesus saw fit to tell us because he's the only one that's ever been there and come to earth and talked to us. And what does, he, what does the Bible say about that? It says that eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, and neither has it entered into the mind of man, of man what God has prepared for us when we go to heaven. So what's he really saying? It's beyond our comprehensive powers. If we think it's great, it'll blow your mind how much greater it really is. The beauty, you know, we've never lived anywhere where everybody loved one another. I'd really like to give it a shot just here at church. But we've never lived in a, in a world. In, in fact, in our world today, it seems like people hate each other more every day and kind of enjoy doing it. So what I'm telling you is... The word prince in describing the devil, word king in describing our God, has its limits. All it was really doing was saying, he is the final authority who reigns supreme over what he chooses. And there's a reason for that. And see, the Bible uses other terms how would you tell your children what hell is like? You ain't never been there. Somebody said last night, you have if you've been married. I didn't say that. And this guy's been divorced, and he's here this morning, and so, he, you know, I'm, I'm giving him a hard time. He, he wasn't here last night, but I heard him say it. So what I'm telling you is that these words are, are used to illustrate some truth about the subject that God has put on the table here for us. Whether it's the word prince. For instance, in the first century, and th this I know to be true. In the first century, if a little boy were to walk up to his daddy and say, Daddy, what's hell like? I'm talking about a, a kid in, in Israel. A Jewish kid would come up and say, hey, what's hell like? <coughs> the daddy would say, it's like Gehenna. Or the, the word Gehenna means the, the valley of Hinnom. On the south side of Jerusalem, there was a great big valley where all that, now this is gross, because you're going to want to eat directly, where all the guts and the hides and everything else of the animals that were uh, killed in, at the temple were dumped. It was the garbage dump of Jerusalem on the south side. And it was the garbage of all the other stuff that they put there too. 
And historians tell us, Josephus says that it burned day and night. And so he would say to his son, hell is like the valley of Hinnom, like the garbage dump of Jerusalem. Now, will hell really be like that? I suspect it's even worse. But if you, if, and, 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 but if you really want to get a, a, a kind of a goofy idea of, about it, it was on the south side of the city, of the wall city. Can you imagine if a good, strong southern south breeze rolled through that? It'd be like driving through Chillicothe sometimes, you know, when you get, you get your snoot full of that stuff. Sulfur and all the filth, because burning bodies ain't, it's not good to smell. Anyway, the, this is because of the limitation of our language and the limitations of our comprehensive powers. So, let's, let's do this then. Let's look at these questions, and we'll go through those, and then when I'm through, we'll pray, and you can either come up here and uh, ask me questions, or you can go home and talk about me over lunch. And I really don't care which, okay? <laughs> All right, first question. Is a sovereign, is a sovereign loving God... And that's what he's called here in, in, in 1 John 4, 16. He said, God is love. Okay, so we know God is loving. So is a loving God the cause and the controller of everything, even the most evil of all activities, such as, and you're to write in there what you think the most evil activity that you can think of would be. I asked Matthew's wife, and Megan wrote down the Holocaust. I don't know. You put in whatever you want to. It's okay. So is a loving God directly responsible for evil? And I say no. No, he's not. Quit blaming God for what Satan does. Satan and his buddies. Both people and... Because I'll be very honest with you. I think Putin in Russia is one of Satan's buddies. I think he is satanically influenced. And don't you be surprised if that evil old guy goes ahead and attacks. He did in Crimea, got away with it. He was the guy in the Soviet Union who was the head of their secret, of their secret police that killed millions of people. And he hadn't changed any. Number two. Does God cease to be sovereign if and when he chooses to impose limits on himself? No one has the authority to put limits on God. If there are any limitations on him, it's those he chose to put on himself. So the question is, does God cease to be who he is? the God of gods, the creator of heaven and earth, 
if and when he sees fit to put limits on himself. For the reason, or in order for man to have the free will to choose to love him and each other. Now we have to go back to a question. Why was man created in the start, to start with? The Bible is clear. God wanted to create a people who would glorify him. And the way we glorify him, the Bible is abundantly clear. By loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And your neighbor is yourself. God created us for that singular purpose. And Satan, through his deceit and cleverness and power, as the, and is now the prince of this world, has distorted God's eternal plan. The church came into existence. See, Satan took over what God created. He tried it in heaven and he got kicked out, right? He's tried it here on earth and the church was brought into existence for the purpose of getting back for God what Satan took away. Satan is referred to as the evil one. And see, in that prayer that Jesus taught in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, our Father which in heaven thing, and, and so he ends up by saying, you know, uh, well, let's look at it so you know I'm not playing games with you. <laughs> he says this, our job is to bring God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, everybody loves each other, and they love him supremely. And then he goes on and say, ends up by saying, And lead them not into temptation, but deliver them from... No. The evil one. King James says evil. King James messed it up. The Greek text is so clear that you have to be blind, deaf, and dumb not to understand it. And deliver us from the evil one. Who is the evil one? Satan himself. He's our problem. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not even your teenager. Most time. Anyway. Does God cease to be who he is because he puts himself, he limits himself so that we can choose to love him with all of our hearts? Because here's where I'm getting, you'll see this next as we go along. God is glorified to the extent that we're faithful to him and we love each other. And the world is watching I have a friend, he's the next door, and he lives on the same floor as we do. He's from France. I don't know what his name is. I don't have to know. I just call him Frenchy. It's easy that way. That's the way I do things. I'll skate that too. We, and we like Frenchy. We spend time with him and talk with him. And Frenchy says, Christianity, oh no, he says religion, and he believes this, religion is a scam. And, I, and he, he told me that, and I said, well, some of them are. Some of them are. Now, he's an artist, and all of them are. 
that's the argument that we have anyway. But, but we're really good friends. And, one of the, and so I said, hey, Frenchie, if a bunch of people get together and take a couple, three guys out of an orphanage, two boys and a girl that didn't come over here, but we still put her through school, and adopt them into our lives, pay half a million dollars to get them educated through four years and then into graduate school and through that and have them to go back home without owing a penny. Is that a scam? So Frenchie's going to show up here one of these days. And when you do, I'll let you know. I want you all to hug. Even you women are, are free to kiss him. Just, you know, because French, French like kissing, you know. He needs to know that Jesus ain't a scam, even though some people in church are. We glorify yes, We glorify God. And he watches us like a hawk. He teaches art down at the university. If I can get him out of bed in time, he'll be here. He actually is kind of curious. Okay. So... We know, how, we know how God is glorified. So the question is this. If we are predestined to love each other, to love God and to love each other, are we then somewhat robotic? Is love really love if it's something you don't have a choice in? I have some difficulty making that add up in my mind. Am I claiming to have it all worked out? No. Am I claiming that I got it worked out more than most? Yeah, I did. I'll be. I'm that. I'm. I'm that uh, egotistical. Okay. But I think that Satan is the single cause and the source of evil in our world and in our lives. So let's quit blaming God when some drunk or dopey crosses the center line and hits a, a car full of, of a family of three children and a, and a mom and a dad who are godly people. You'll never convince me that that's not the work of the devil. You'll never convince me that God controlled that. Because I believe with all my heart that God is love embodied. Now let's wind up with this. And there's lots of things that I, I, I could, I literally could keep you here from, till supper time, really. There's so much involved in this. but I'm getting ready to, the, the plane is circling the field. This is number six. Does a sovereign God keep his promises and exercise his sufficient control over things that he needs and has promised to do? Peter says it this way. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises but is patient and loving toward all of us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. People, some things, as I said at the outset, are predestined, and I'm tickled to death. 
It is predestined that if you give your life to Jesus, He will put His Holy Spirit in you. That's predestined. Why? Because the Scripture says so. It is predestined that if you die as a, a part of the adopted family of God, you will go be with God when you die. Why? Because the Scripture says so. It is predestined that Jesus will come again. Why? Because he said so. And Satan is a liar. And God is the embodiment of truth and integrity. God is not slow concerning his promises. You need to read 2 Peter 3, 9. Because that's what it says concerning the promises of God. Some things, praise God, are predestined. But not everything is. Now here's where the, we need to be on our toes. If you believe that everything is predestined, you're still as much of a Christian as I am, and I don't. The division over that, because Pat Apel and I talked about that all the time. And we would discuss it. And that's the way we should do it because this isn't something that should divide us. This is something that we should work together and pray together and help us develop. The more we know about God, the stronger our faith will be. And both positions take the position that he is the creator of heaven and earth and that he loves the whole, for God so loved the, that he did what? He loved us to the extent that he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross so we could come back to him. That's predestined. A lot of things are predestined. But I'm saying not all of them are because we still need to be able to love him and love requires that we have the freedom to choose. Well, boy, time marches on and waits for no man here. I've got three minutes before the bell goes, before the clock <laughs> goes off here. But I'm not going to take three minutes. I'm going to take more if I need it. Not really. I'm just kidding you. What I want to close with is this. If you didn't get anything else, you get this. God really does love people. He even loves bad people. He just doesn't appreciate their behavior. He uses a lot of terms to talk about. You and I are part of the elect. Lots of terms in there, but they all just mean we've been adopted into God's family because we believe in Jesus. 
You see, I think we, I think we have to have the freedom to choose for relationships to be meaningful. Can you imagine? And I've had this happen. I've had a woman come into my office and say, my husband's really good to me. He takes care, he pays all of her bills. He's kind, he's helpful, he's considerate. But he has no feeling for me. He's just keeping, he's just keeping the promise he made when we got married to be faithful. And she's miserable. What I'm telling you is this. God loves us with all of his heart. That means intellectually, emotionally, with every part of his being. And he wants us to love him and each other that same way. And the only way that can exist is if he puts his Holy Spirit in us and helps us rise above the old natural selfish jerks that we all are. Jesus is the key, you see, to the abundant life. And the Bible says, pardon me, Mr. Augustine, that whosoever will may come. Tell him I said hi. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you love us even sacrificed your son for us. And thank you, Father, for giving us your presence in the Holy Spirit so that we can even love people we don't like very well, who are hard to love. But thank you, Father, that you loved us while we were yet sinners and gave your only begotten son for us and we're here today to say thank you. In, <clears throat> in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.